From the darkness I cry for you. The tears you shed for us are the blood of elven kind. O oh, Aisha, here I stand on the last shore, a sword in my hand. Ulthwan shall never fall. While you were out partying, we studied the blade. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. My name is Nathan Stone and I will be your host today. Today's episode is something that we haven't gotten a chance to do for a little while, and that is a deep dive on a particular unit. I just haven't had the time with school, and I really wanted to get back to basics for a week. And so here we are. We're going to talk all about the Swordmasters of Hoth from 4th to 8th edition. Before we dive in there, I have some news updates for you. If you're not aware, the War Games Orchard has our own painting challenge. It just started for the month of November, and it runs until the very end of the month. And in this challenge, you are asked to paint one miniature to a very silly theme. Our theme for November is holding out for an unlikely hero, and we are starting to get some incredible entries in this. I couldn't be more pleased. I am just so tickled by the imagination of our community here. So I wanted to shout out a couple of entries that we got recently. Nick Jacob has entered with uh, his little Bretonian peasant, Pierre. Pierre uh, ran to the Battle of Les Massantel Abbey to defend his family burial plot. Things didn't go so well for Pierre, and uh, now he is a zombie in the thrall of the Lichmaster, but he's still hanging out by his family grave, and he's got his little slingshot, and he's going to guard it for all eternity or until he falls apart. It might be part of the Bretonian trebuchet kit, now that I think about it. This little guy with a slingshot, it is a fantastic miniature and a fantastic entry. Thomas Wood has also given us a wonderful entry with a little diorama and a great story to go along with it. This is a great call out to history. This is the Pink Pimpernel, who is a halfling duelist. And uh, he's got him arrayed on a table in a tavern, and he has just taken down three villainous guards of the Count Marius Leetdorf. A very strong entry. I love it so much. The little halfling duelist has so much character. Both of these entries are just out of this world. I keep being surprised by just what people are coming up with. We've got a couple of very strong halfling entries, and I wonder if we're going to get some more before the end of the month. There is still so much time to enter into our painting competition. If you haven't, uh, you'll just want to visit the Warhammer Orchard. It's our community Facebook page, and you'll see it pinned to the top of the page there. You can scroll through and see these incredible entries. I highly recommend it. We're having a lot of fun with this. I am just beside myself with joy about this. I got my own entry coming. It's not quite done yet, but I was doing a little bit of work on it today. It's it's coming along. It might be the dumbest thing I've ever made as far as miniatures go, and that's saying something. The other thing I wanted to shout out was I got a message from Danny McDonald, and Danny is helping run a Warhammer 6th edition tournament in Ottawa, Ontario. So if you're in Canada, and specifically in Ontario, you can 
come on by on January 23rd, and that is at Red Dragon Comics Cards and Games in Ottawa. It looks like they already have some confirmed contestants for this tournament. I think what he was telling me was that there is going to be at least three games per person. So if you're going to be near Ottawa or you can get to Ottawa January 23rd at Red Dragon Comics, absolutely check that out. It's so cool to see Warhammer Fantasy being played in an organized fashion uh, in 2022. That's super cool. So hopefully they'll get a big turnout for that one. Unfortunately, for those who aren't super up on Canadian geography, uh, Canada is a huge, huge place, and I am about, ooh, probably 1,500 to 2,000 kilometers away, so I won't be attending that one, unfortunately, but I wish Danny and everyone going to that event the best of luck, so please do check that one out if you're going to be in the area. All right, everybody, let's dive in to the Swordmasters of Hoth. I want to start this off by saying, as primarily a Dark Elf player, I have the biggest sense of envy when it comes to High Elves. And I know High Elves haven't always been the top of the heap competitively, but they always just seemed to get more than Dark Elves. And all of my feelings really stem from the Hero Hammer era, especially when I joined the game in 5th edition. The 5th edition High Elf book, when you compared it to the 4th edition Dark Elf book, and I didn't really know the difference between editions back in those days, but what I saw was these incredible units, these incredible special rules, the Citizen Levy, the Ithamar armor and barding, and I was just thinking, wow, why can't we have that? as Dark Elves. I know we had some cool stuff, but boy, that 5th edition High Elf book, oh, it really made me yearn for a 5th edition Dark Elf book. A book, unfortunately, that would never come. Of all of the armies in the game, there are two that kind of give me the heebies and the jeebies when I face them, and one is Skaven, because Skaven always have my number. It doesn't matter who's playing it, and it doesn't matter what their army is, they're going to give me trouble. The other one is High Elves. I have faced some very good High Elf players in my time. My very first opponent, in fact, was all about High Elves. And I guess I learned from a young age to fear and respect them, especially things like Repeater Bolt Throwers, Swordmasters of Hoth, the Magic, just everything. They just seem to be good at everything. Ah. <sighs> And here I am on the other side of my table with the stupid cold one nights, failing their stupidity for the eighth time in a four-turn game. Oh, all right. That's enough of me. <laughs> Let's jump into things. So, Swordmasters of Hoth got their start in 4th edition. Before that, the High Elves were in an odd place. The 3rd edition High Elves were kind of split between the Elves of the Outer Kingdom, which were known as the Sea Elves, and the Elves of the Inner Kingdoms, which were known as the High Elves. But we don't see a lot of those very iconic units emerge until 4th edition. Things like Swordmasters, the White Lions, the Illyrian Reavers, all of these kind of named interesting units that would really come about in the early 90s. 
Before we get too far into things, let's talk a little bit about where Swordmasters are from. They are the guardians of the Tower of Hoth in the Elven Kingdom of Safri. So Safri is one of the inner kingdoms, and if you think of Ulthwan, you think of the uh, upside-down U that it kind of is. And the inner kingdoms are the kingdoms that face, well, inwards, towards the body of water known as the Inner Seas. And there's the Sea of Dawn and the Sea of Dusk. Safri is on the eastern side of the inner kingdoms. I'm going to share with you the description of Safri as it appears in the 4th and 5th edition High Elf books, just to give us a little bit of context on the Swordmasters, because they are so geographically tied to both Safri and the Tower of Hoth. South and east of Averlorn, on the shores of the Sea of Dreams, lies Safri, the land of wizardry. In the heart of Safri is the Tower of Hoth, the shrine of the god of wisdom. This is the greatest repository of magical knowledge in the world, compiled down the centuries by high elf mages and scholars who dedicate their lives to the accumulation of magical lore. The Tower of Hoth rises high above the forest. This bone-white structure is almost a mile and a half high, a feat of engineering made possible only by magic. It was built over twenty centuries ago, on the orders of the Phoenix King of the time, Bel Corhadris, the Scholar King. The tower stands at the point of a great confluence of the coursing magical energies of the Vortex, a fact that lends it a greater strength than any creation of mere bricks and mortar. The tower is visible tens of miles away, a sharp white needle of stone thrusting into the sky. Its approaches are guarded by rings of illusion and mazes of spells, which means only those selected by the loremasters of Hoth will ever find the true path to the tower. Those who seek wisdom at the shrine will find it. Those who seek power for power's sake are never seen again. The Tower of Hoth is also the home of the Sword Masters, warrior ascetics who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of wisdom and learning carefully controlled violence. They study meditation and martial arts until they are capable of superhuman feats of arms. They favor the elven greatsword above all other blades, a wicked weapon, a full five or six feet in length, double-edged and razor-sharp. The Sword Masters are so superlatively trained that they can wield these mighty swords as fast as an ordinary warrior can a normal sword. A sword master always seeks to master new killing blows and different individuals perfect their own personal sword strokes, giving them a style of fighting as distinctive as a signature. The sword masters are the agents of the lore masters and of the Phoenix King. They wander the land, seeking news and reporting back to the tower. The Supreme Lore Master often dispatches them to deal with threats to the interests of the Tower and the Kingdom. So that is a little bit about Safri. What I find really interesting about the Lore Masters is they've got a real Jedi feel to them. These warrior mystics, they can move supernaturally fast, they can deflect arrows out of the sky. When you look at them, they have this real sense of purpose and power in the art these guys they really do remind me of elven jedi and i don't know if that was on purpose but it seems like it's a little bit too similar to dismiss completely 
Now, we're going to be looking at the 4th edition rules here first, and we'll continue chronologically throughout the eras. The 4th edition rules are, well, they're lackluster. <laughs> they really are. To start out, you can take 0 to 1 unit of Swordmasters in 4th edition. They are 16 points per model, and they have a pretty good profile. Movement 5, Weapon Skill 5, Ballistic Skill 4, Strength 3, Toughness 3, 1 Wound, 7 Initiative, 1 Attack, and Leadership 8. Not a bad stat line at all. The Swordmasters wear light armor for a 6 plus save, and are armed with a double-handed sword. As far as options go, the Swordmasters of Hoeth may carry a magic standard, and that may be chosen from the appropriate magic item cards. For special rules, the Swordmasters of Hoth fight with fluid grace and poise impossible to equal. Hence, they do not always strike last in hand-to-hand -hand combat, the normal penalty for using two-handed weapons. So, these guys, really, they're not bad when you look at them stats-wise. They are 16 points per model, and they're missing some important special rules that... I think we're going to find in 5th edition make them a lot better of a choice. 0 to 1 is an interesting idea for this unit. A lot in the 4th edition book is kind of like that. The Phoenix Guards are also 0 to 1. The Dragon Princes are also 0 to 1. It, it was very restrictive. This 4th edition High Elf book reminds me a lot more of the 4th edition Dark Elf book. I think they're more similar in terms of power. And that's not to say that this is fine for High Elves, because this isn't a great book, which I think any High Elf player of the time would tell you that that 5th edition book gets a lot better. But what we see here in 4th edition is that the basic idea of a Swordmaster is here. It's not going to change all that much. They are going to get better as the years go on. Uh, that'll be a little bit up and down, but we'll see the, the basic idea of the Swordmaster, which is a great weapon infantry that strikes at initiative, is is here. I love that initiative 7, by the way. That is wildly good for a unit that strikes at strength 5. I think even in 4th edition, not the worst unit that you could take, certainly. Uh, but only having a 6-plus save on a toughness 3 one wound, 16 point model. Ooh, that's that's a bit much. That is a little bit much. Things get a little bit more interesting though once we get to 5th edition, which is where we will go right now. High Elves got a lot of new fun rules in 5th edition that they didn't have in 4th. And I think this was well-deserved because it made the army feel far more elite without artificially inflating the stat lines of the army at all, which I think is important. Elves should be fragile and frail, but at the same time, they should have better stuff than you, they should be higher skilled than you, and this 5th edition book did the job much better. So, where our Swordmasters are concerned, there's a few things that have changed and have changed for the better. The first and probably the least interesting of these changes is that they have resolve against dark elves meaning that when fighting against dark elves high elves may reroll any break test in hand-to-hand -hand combat or psychology test as long as the army general or standard remains on the battlefield and is not fleeing 
this was kind of an answer to the Dark Elves' hatred of High Elves. But where the Dark Elves were stuck in 4th edition, I don't think you really needed it. Like, were Dark Elves scaring anyone by this point? I don't think they were. More importantly is Ithilmar. So Ithilmar is a really neat development in the High Elf fluff. It means sky silver. Uh, It's a metal that is found on the black slopes of the Dragonback Mountains of Kalidor. So Ithilmar does not tarnish and is a delight to work, and yet it is as hard as steel. Only the High Elves know how to forge it, though a dwarf runesmith would surrender his family's entire treasure hoard to learn its secrets. In fact, Ithilmar can only be forged with the addition of other mineral ores found uniquely on the slopes of the Dragonspine Mountains, so the only weapon shops that make it are those of Vol's Anvil itself. Really neat. What Ithilmar does for the High Elves is something that's fun and is only really relevant during the Hero Hammer era, and that is it ignores movement penalties for heavy armor and for barding. What I remembered as a kid was always the barding rules, because that was always the big one. The elven steeds had barding, but they still moved eight inches. And you could do it with the high elves as well. So any heavy armor that the high elves took could be Ithilmar, and that would mean that it has no penalty for movement, which is really nice. I mean, high elves could probably get away with it with that movement five, but... In a game that is as movement-heavy as Warhammer, you want every point of movement because every point of movement is very important. So with that special rule in mind, we'll come again to our Swordmasters. Now, the Swordmaster profile hasn't changed, and that's a little bit to be expected. Like I said, it's a very good profile with that weapon skill of 5, that initiative of 7, and there's really nothing that you have to change to make them an effective unit except giving them a little bit more oomph, a little bit more spice. And that was done by giving an additional special rule. So they still have their special rule that allows them to strike at initiative. That is the big thing with Swordmasters. It would be wild to take that away. And add to that this new ability called Deflect Shot. So this is where we see our sweet Jedi elves come in again. A Swordmaster's reactions are so fast that he can knock a shower of arrows from the air using his sword, deflecting an arrow or crossbow bolt harmlessly aside. To represent his extraordinary ability, any foes attempting to shoot at the Swordmasters from the front must deduct minus one from their roll to hit. A great ability to have. Minus ones or twos, anything like that is always such a great ability. In 5th edition, they remain at 16 points per model, and they are still 0 to 1. Their equipment has changed. They still have, of course, their double-handed swords, but now they're in heavy armor for a 5-up save. Plus, they've gained the option to take shields. And the shields can't be used in close combat, but they can be used on the way to close combat. So the shooting defense of... Swordmasters has taken a huge, huge jump. If you remember 4th edition, they had light armor. Toughness 3, light armor. Now they have, well, still toughness 3, but they have a 5-up save, a 4-up save if you give them shields, and that heavy armor shield isn't 
slowing them down at all. So a really, really nice upgrade for the Swordmasters in 5th edition, and it didn't cost them anything. Well, it'll cost you one point if you want the shields, but otherwise, the Swordmasters remain at 16 points and are a much, much more attractive unit to take in 5th than they are in 4th. I was always very, very afraid of Swordmasters in 5th edition. I mean, I still am to this day. They're a unit that kind of commands respect, and I know they are still somewhat fragile. You can still run things into them like chariots and maybe take out the full front rank. I mean, that's just elves, though. And you have to remember that with these guys, I'm always looking at Dark Elf Executioners. And I'm always that guy from the meme who's walking with his girlfriend, and but his head's turned to look at the other prettier girl who's walking by. The other prettier girl? That's a Swordmaster. That is it for me. I, I've never really played High Elves, but Swordmasters are just it. I think they're the coolest thing in the whole army. And in Hero Hammer, I thought their models were kind of the be-all and end-all of, of what a High Elf should look like. I think they were the epitome of the range. Nothing really said, hey, this is a High Elf better than a Swordmaster did. Let's move on to 6th edition and all the changes of the later era of Warhammer Fantasy. We're going to start off by looking at the description of Swordmasters in the 6th edition book. I think that this adds enough new information and clarifies a little bit of, of what the Swordmasters are to be worth including for you today. There are many ways to travel the path of wisdom. Some fast and meditate for years. Others study obscure and arcane tomes. But for a few, their true path lies in martial prowess. These are the Swordmasters. Though they are not only experts with a blade, they also learn to fight with their bare hands or any other weapon they can reach especially their finely balanced ceremonial greatswords. The center of their cult is the White Tower of Hoth, at the heart of ancient Safari. Here they study the secret ways of battle, honing their bodies and skills to unbelievable levels. Some say they can cut a candle in half without disturbing the flame. Others that they can fight in complete darkness, guided only by the sound of their foe's breathing. These expert warriors are the guardians of the White Tower and serve as protectors of the mages and scholars who live and study there. But the Swordmasters are not hermits. Part of their duties is to serve as messengers for the Tower's masters. And to this end, they travel throughout Ulthuan, guarding traveling scholars or seeking out information to enrich the vast store that resides in the White Tower. In battle, they are deadly opponents, eager to practice their great skill on real enemies in an arena where there is no room for second best. This is the true test of their mettle, and the one they most eagerly seek. Swordmasters in 6th edition took the 6th ed stat change pretty well, to be honest. A lot of units lost a lot more than the Swordmasters, and the Swordmasters actually gained a little bit here as well. A Swordmaster is now Movement 5, Weapon Skill 6, Ballistic Skill 4, Strength 3, Toughness 3, 1 Wound, Initiative 5, 1 Attack, and Leadership 8. Their champions, now called Blade Lords, have the same profile but have a bonus second attack. 
I like this change for Swordmasters. They gain a point of weapon skill, but they lose two points of initiative. The initiative thing, eh, it is what it is. They're still initiative five. They're still better than most things in the game, so they'll strike before most things. Weapon skill six, very nice. That's kind of hero level weapon skill right there. They have the special rule Swordmasters. And this is their classic, may use their great weapon as deftly as a normal sword, so they strike at initiative order instead of striking last on any turn they don't charge. And the great weapon used by a swordmaster still strikes blows at plus two strength, which they felt the need to qualify just in case anyone was curious. In terms of cost, swordmasters of Hoth are 13 points per model. They are still a zero to one, and you have to take them in unit sizes of 10 plus. They are armed with their sweet two-handed swords, a hand weapon, and heavy armor. You can upgrade one swordmaster to musician, one to standard bearer, and one to blade lord. They can take a magic standard worth up to 50 points, and the blade lord may choose up to 25 points of magic items. That's a nice little bonus on there. You can get a guy with weapon skill six, two attacks, and maybe a nice little magic sword. Just boost the killing prowess of your front rank there. Their only special rule here is sword masters. So they have lost a little bit in terms of that arrow deflection that is gone, but they are three points per model cheaper than they were in fifth edition. All in all, this still seems to me like a pretty good unit. Anytime you can have great weapons striking at initiative, at high initiative, at weapon skill 6, it's going to take a lot for me to say, oh, Swordmasters aren't very good. I don't know that they're ever not very good. Maybe those 4th edition ones, but hey, that wasn't a very good army book, so you take what you can get. Something really interesting happened in 6th edition as far as special characters go. And this special character is Eltharian. Eltharian, for a time, became a swordmaster. And this was during a time period where he was blind. It was a, an interesting in-between era for Eltharian, because it only really lasted in 6th edition, and then by 8th edition he was back to his old ways on his griffin and doing his thing. But what had happened was Eltharian fought in the defense of Anlek, which is the infamous fortress in Nagarith. Uh, during a invasion by the Witch King's forces, he was defeated and captured by the Witch King, who tortured and eventually blinded him. And Malekith sent the crippled elf back to Ulthwan, just as a show of, hey, I'm kind of a bad guy. Uh, Eltharian, however, decided that, you know, this wasn't going to be the end of his illustrious military career, and he traveled to Hoth to train with the Swordmasters. And he did a really good job, uh, became arguably one of the greatest warriors in Ulthwan without being able to see, uh, basing everything on touch and, and smell and hearing, and... He actually fought against Shadowblade, the famous Dark Elf Assassin, and he didn't die. So that should tell you everything you need to know about how good Eltharian was even without his vision. Now, Eltharian would miraculously regain his sight later on and 
become again Eltharian the Grim. But in 6th edition, there were rules for Eltharian the Blind as what is the closest thing we got to a Swordmaster special character. Here is Eltharian's 6th edition Swordmaster rules. He is movement 5, weapon skill 8, ballistic skill 6, strength 4, toughness 3, 3 wounds, initiative 8, 4 attacks, and leadership 10. He carries the white sword of Hoth and wears light armor. He will cost you 255 points. Now he has, oh boy does he have special rules. The white sword is not technically a magical sword. It's it's not really anything other than a really pretty sword, but he can use it to fight in different styles. So you can fight with the way of the willow branch, the way of the winter breeze, the way of the swooping eagle, or the way of the breaking storm. The way of the willow is defensive. Any close combat attacks against Eltharian require sixes to hit before any other modifications, and regardless of relative weapon skills or any other special rules. Well, you were never hitting him that easy with weapon skill 8, but this makes it very challenging. The way of the winter breeze gives Eltharian a plus one to hit with his attacks in close combat. Really nice, since he's probably hitting on twos with those four attacks. Way of the Swooping Eagle. All of Eltharian's attacks are resolved at plus two strength. So if you want him to do the Swordmaster thing and hack with a great weapon at strength six, he can do that. And Way of the Breaking Storm gives Eltharian two extra attacks, so six attacks. The only real downside to this sword, of course, is that it is not magical, does not have any abilities beyond that. So in a lot of these cases, you're hitting at strength four, which is just kind of okay. Not really against anything with a great armor save, but Eltharian could certainly clear bodies, uh, lightly armed bodies for sure. He has great leap. Eltharian is immensely acrobatic and is able to jump high through the air to reach his foes. At the start of any round of combat before attacks are allocated or challenges are issued, Eltharian may be moved anywhere in the same combat, even leaving one unit and joining another, or becoming an independent character. He may not use this to position himself out of combat, or if he is already involved in a challenge. That's a fun little ability to get around a battle. Maybe get the matchup you're looking for or escape from a matchup you don't want. He has a Lord of Hoth. In the White Tower, Eltharian is now second only to Belinar himself and often commands the army of Hoth. If Eltharian is your general, Swordmasters are no longer a zero to one choice. Army of Swordmasters, do it. Do it, it'll be so good. I mean, there's still special choices, but you could have a bunch. Intrigue at Court. You don't need to roll for Intrigue at Court if you take Eltharian. He's automatically the army general. Uh, I guess no one is going to try and politic their way into taking Eltharian's job when he's there, which I understand. Uh, he would be pretty intimidating, uh, especially in his uh, broken, vengeance-obsessed swordmaster form. Impenetrable Defense is his next special ability. Eltharian's senses and foresight are so keen, he can now react even faster than, he, than when he could see, enabling him to predict the enemy's attacks and even deflect incoming arrows. Eltharian has a 5-plus ward save to represent this, and in addition, Killing Blow has no effect on Eltharian. Simply treat the wound roll of a 6 as a successful wound. 
This is fantastic because otherwise he only has light armor, which might as well not be there. And for 255 points, you want some kind of defensive ability beyond his way of the willow branch. So it's pretty good. Next up, there is Psychology. Altharian hates orcs and goblins and dark elves, but is otherwise immune to psychology. Any unit of swordmasters joined by Altharian counts as stubborn. Finally, there is the Dark Within. Altharian is a very troubled soul, and his thirst for revenge can drive him to rash acts. Altharian and any unit he leads must declare a charge if there is an enemy within range, and can never test to restrain pursuit. So he's a little bit of a mixed bag. He's pretty cheap for a lord. He's not going to break the bank. He is also on foot. He's not mounted. He doesn't have any magic items. He has some really cool abilities. Situationally, I think he could be quite fun. If you want to do the Army of Hoth, especially in 6th Ed, this is your man. He is very cool. And he didn't stay this way. It's so weird that by 8th edition, he's just back to being, no, regular old Eltharian, got his griffin back, everything's cool, we don't talk about that whole time when he was blind. Alright, now let's move along. From 6th edition to everyone's favorite red-headed stepchild edition, 7th. 7th edition brought something very important to our swordmasters, and that was an extra attack. They went from one attack to two attacks, and the Blade Lord from two to three. They also gained a couple of special rules that are High Elf specific to this era, and that is Valor of Ages and Speed of Azurian. The Valor of Ages is a bit of a callback to the old High Elf Resolve from 5th edition. When the High Elves war with their sundered kin, there is not one amongst their host who does not give his all. Uncertainty, dread, dismay are all banished from the mind until the din of battle fades, and weapons can be set at ease once more. High Elves, not including any mounts, may re-roll failed psychology tests when fighting a Dark Elf army. More importantly is the speed of Azurian. The High Elves possess a natural skill that far outstrips what ordinary mortals possess. When combined with decades of martial training, it creates a warrior elite, the likes of which few can comprehend. All High Elves have the special rule always strikes first, regardless of the weapon that they are wielding. So that is a huge special rule, and it made it so that our Swordmasters didn't need their old Swordmaster rule. It basically gave that rule to the whole army. And what it meant was that because they had great weapons that always struck last, and they had the special rule always strikes first, well, they struck an initiative like they always have. Which is a pretty good compromise, I think, for this army. This is getting into the era where all elves strike first all the time. It got really silly with that, I find. I always thought that that was a little bit overkill. But a lot about the later era, Warhammer, was kind of, well, overkill. One thing I'm going to mention at this point, and this has been in the fluff, but it starts getting more references during the later era, is the Secret War. And this is very important for the Swordmasters, because we see their function within High Elf society shift not only from protecting the Wizards of Hoth and uh, serving the Phoenix King, but also acting as a kind of secret police. 
And this is mentioned in a little blurb on the Swordmasters page in 7th edition. The Secret War. Since the time of Belshinar, a long and bitter struggle has raged behind the peaceful facade of Ulthwan's courts and palaces, a war fought behind closed doors by the trusted agents of the Phoenix King and the debased worshippers of the cults of excess. After centuries of bitter struggle, the Phoenix King Aethys requested aid from the sages of the White Tower. In response, the Loremasters of Hoeth unleashed the Swordmasters upon the vile cultists. The legendary warrior scholars wasted no time taking their unparalleled skills to the dark corners of Ulthwan's great cities, slaughtering the cultists wherever they were found. So began the first chapter in the secret war that has lasted ever since, for the Swordmasters are implacable foes and will not rest until every member of the Cult of Pleasure lies dead. I love this because you could do so much with this little blurb, this little section of lore we have rules and you would want to use the sixth edition cult of slanesh rules probably for this but you could do such an interesting battle or scenario between the cult of pleasure and the sword masters of hoeth either take eltharian so you can take multiple units of sword masters or just treat Swordmasters as core, which I think would work for that as well, because the Cult of Pleasure is quite a proficient force in 6th edition. I think it would be powerful enough that you could run those two things together, and that wouldn't be a problem. I just think it would lead to such a cool scenario. You could probably have it set in an elven city, so you're fighting in the streets. You know, these cultists coming up. Uh, they've been found out by the Swordmasters. The Swordmasters have to respond in force. And the cultists have gathered all of uh, their buddies. And now they're going to throw down in the streets. You've got all of the special units that are in the Cult of Slanesh. And you have so many Swordmasters. Oh, it would be a glorious struggle for sure. You could even run something like a Mordheim game or scenario. And have cultists versus the sword masters in a skirmish scenario and maybe an old elven tower that the cultists have been using as a base or perhaps in in the streets of a city oh, so good so so good now getting back on track there is a couple of important things that i wanted to mention before we get off seventh edition here firstly sword masters uh, go to 15 points per model and secondly, probably most importantly, they are no longer zero to one. So you can fill up those special choices with Swordmasters, which makes me very happy. And this change in seventh applied to other units as well, like the Phoenix Guard that used to be zero to one, and the Dragon Princes, they're all they're all just regular special choices at this point. Now Let's move on to our last stop for today. That is going to be the 8th edition High Elf book. And these 8th edition books, oh boy, they're just, just chock full of stuff. Absolutely gorgeous. Say what you will about the edition, and I always do, but I just can't get over how good these books were. 8th edition brought us something pretty incredible as far as the lore for the Swordmasters go. 
we got a Swordmaster lore in the form of a lore master of Hoeth. And we'll get to him in just a moment. I do want to, however, read you a little bit of fluff on Hoth, the Lord of Wisdom, that appears in this book. One of the great things that 8th edition did with the army books of the elves was really delved into the pantheon, so we got to know the gods and their godly dramas. And this is a little bit about Hoth. Hoth is the embodiment of erudition and patron of all those who search for greater understanding. The elves believe it was he who gifted their race with much of its knowledge that they now take for granted. Opinion is divided on precisely why Hoeth did so. Most elves believe Hoeth's actions were founded in generosity, but some mutter darkly of how knowledge leads to progress, and progress inevitably leads to the ruin of tradition. Whatever the motivation, legends tell that when Azurian learned of Hoeth's actions, he rebuked the Lord of Wisdom and, in punishment, set much of Hoeth's great library ablaze. Azurian is a real jerk. A lot of the time. If you go through and read all of the different things that Azurian has done as punishment, he's a real jerk sometimes. I don't know that I like Azurian very much, but c'est la vie. I guess that is the thing with a godly drama is you need your gods to kind of be not the best. Now, Swordmasters retain their 7th edition stat line that those two juicy attacks their special rules for this edition are always strikes first, which all elves had by this point, martial prowess and valor of ages, and they got their deflect shots back. Hey, you haven't seen that in a while. Uh, models with this special rule have a 6 plus ward save against non-magical shooting attacks that do not use templates. So it was very specific, and it was a ward save instead of a negative to hit. Honestly, mm, I think I would rather have the negative to hit. I think that was a little bit juicier, a little bit more bang for your buck there, but hey, it's back at least. Here is those special rules that I mentioned in 8th edition. Martial prowess. High elf models with this special rule can make supporting attacks with one extra rank than normal. This is cumulative with any other special rule that allows a unit to fight in extra ranks. This is the edition that gave us like 50 elven spearmen that could all fight. It was wild. Uh, elf spear hordes. Ooh. This is really good for swordmasters, though. You're not going to see swordmaster hordes very much. Now that I mention it, I think I did actually see one or two. But for the most part, they are going to really benefit from that extra rank of supporting attacks. Valor of Ages. You get to reroll all failed Panic, Fear, and Terror Tests if your opponent's army contains one or more models from Warhammer Dark Elves. We've seen this one before. And Always Strikes First is, well, it's Always Strikes First. Swordmaster's in a pretty good place for the final edition of the game. Now let's talk a little bit about our fun new unit that we got. The Lore Masters. And I'm going to share their fluff here because I think it is an interesting addition to what the Swordmasters are and are about. The path of the Swordmaster is not the only one taught within the Tower of Hoeth. Here can be found many disciplines of art, magic, and war. 
Most scholars confine themselves to studying but a single path, honing their skills until perfection is achieved. Even amongst the rarefied ranks of elf kind, it is unusual to find an intellect capable of mastering an entire path, let alone show accomplishment in several, but it is not impossible. Such is the achievement that marks out a lore master from a mere scholar. Lore masters are invariably gifted warriors, for their intellects find even the exacting disciplines of the sword masters almost childishly easy to master. Similarly, each lore master has a faultless grasp of the principles of magical lore. However, he seldom wastes time in committing more than a sliver of battle magic to memory. He is concerned with the weightier and more elusive spells that are little suited to the battlefield. Beyond this, it is rare to encounter two lore masters who have trodden the same path to illumination. Even to an elven mind, the realm of knowledge is a labyrinth, and none can explore all of its many chambers. Indeed, centuries of scholarship have left more than a few lore masters with a touch of eccentricity. Nevertheless, no commander will spurn a lore master's services if they are offered, for their synthesis of magical fury and swordsmanship is truly formidable. The lore master of Hoth has a pretty decent stat line at movement 5, weapon skill 6, ballistic skills 4, strength 4, toughness 3, 3 wounds, initiative 7, 3 attacks, and leadership 9. He is a character, and the lore masters of Hoeth are level 2 wizards. They do not generate spells following the normal rules, but instead always know the 8 signature spells from the lores of battle magic in the Warhammer rulebook. What this means is they are very versatile casters. There's a lot of good stuff in those signature spells. I love that for a special rule. They also have the classic Always Strikes First, Deflect Shots, which is the one for Sword Masters we just covered, Martial Prowess, and Valor of Ages. In 8th edition, Sword Masters are going to set you back 13 points per model, so a bit of a discount between editions there. Their unit size is 5+, plus. they have great weapons and heavy armor, you have the command upgrades that you always have, and the magical standard up to 50 points, as well as the Blade Lord still taking that magic weapon worth up to 25. And the wording on that has changed between editions as well, used to be a magic item worth up to 25 points, now it is a specifically a weapon, which makes a lot of sense. The Lore Master is your lord choice here he was one lord added of two in this edition because you also got the anointed of azurian which is the phoenix guard version of the lord so in eighth edition you could take your classic high elf lord you could take a super duper phoenix guard or a super duper sword master of hoth a lot of really fun options there the lore master will cost you 230 points. He comes stock with great a great weapon and heavy armor, and he may take magic items to a total of 100 points. That is his only option. So this is a guy who you're not going to get a ton of versatility out of besides his spells, which are super versatile, uh, but you can't give him a mount, which is unfortunate. So he's always got to be hoofing it on the ground. I mean, you're probably going to stick him in a big old regiment or even a horde of Swordmasters. And don't you go taking a horde of Swordmasters out there. I know you've done it. High Elf players, don't you lie to me. I know you've done it. And that's where we leave our Swordmasters. 
what I love about them, other than the stuff that I said earlier in the episode, is that they are always just solid, right? You always look at them and you're always just like, yeah, yeah, I could, I could take some Swordmasters. That's really cool. Their models held up fantastic all the way up until 8th edition when they got those plastic ones in the 8th edition starter set. And even those 8th edition updates really just made them bigger and plastic. It didn't change their look at all because it didn't need anything. It was a great, great look. There was nothing that needed to happen with Swordmasters. They are the quintessential High Elves and a unit that I think you should always fear and respect on the battlefield. That is going to about do it for this episode of the War Games Orchard. Thank you so, so much for listening. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show, why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The Wargames Orchard, or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. <laughs>